he and his wife, I never will forget it, down the old building. And God gave us the privilege of showing them from the word of God how to be saved. And now look what God is doing in his life. And I love it. I love this church. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I think I'm going to let you remain seated this morning as we read this passage of scripture. We're going to begin with verse number 2 in Ephesians chapter number 1. You say, why are you leaving out verse number 1? Well, I don't have time to preach on that. <laughs> we might be here half of the day anyway if I try to preach what my wife said. Are you going to try to preach everything you have got in that folder? I said, I'm going to start on it. <laughs> we were always taught, Brother Horn can testify to this when we were going to school and college, that when you are going to preach or teach a lesson, you always prepare with more than you're going to be able to teach. Uh, one young preacher said one time he, God had called him to preach and uh, he got a lesson ready and had a bunch of pages and he said, man, I've got a sermon. And he was so nervous when he got up. All the pages he had, he went through them all in about five minutes and then he didn't know what to say afterwards. <laughs> so he preached his sermon in about five minutes. Look at verse number two of Ephesians, and I hope, hopefully, I'm going to try to teach a little more than I preached this morning because of the material that I have here. Ephesians is one of my favorite books because when you start out in the book of Ephesians, it teaches you about all the spiritual blessings that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ after you're saved. And if you go through this book, if you read it and you understand what God is teaching you and what's being taught by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, and if you can understand what you have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit through salvation and the part they play in salvation, if you understand that, I'm going to tell you, this room will not hold you from rejoicing and praising God and, and, and having a good time in his name. I mean praising him. And that's what Ephesians chapter one is all about. Let's read verse number two. I'm gonna read down through verse 14. You pay attention as we read the word of God. Paul said, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I want you to notice that phrase. God does not promise you he's gonna bless you in all earthly things. Now sometimes we, uh, we talk to God and we say, God, you know, I need this and I need that and God does not give it to us. Well, he is not promising us earthly things, he's talking about heavenly things. And if you think about all the things that we have that are heavenly, then it will cause us to forget about some of the earthly things that we don't have. We, we're on our way to heaven and we're waiting to get to some of those blessings that God has stored up for us that we don't receive here. You, you wonder sometimes why you're having problems and why troubles come. God hasn't promised us that we won't have problems. He hasn't promised us that we're not going to suffer. Think about the Apostle Paul when he, uh, he's in a prison and writing the word of God. And uh, when he comes to the book of the Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, he, he says, I am full of joy. And where is he when he's writing that book? He's in a prison. But he said, I'm full of joy. Now the circumstances this morning should not play a part in your joy. Now it can play a part in, I don't like what's going on. 
I'm not uh, satisfied with the circumstances around me. I'm not satisfied with the way our country is going. And I'm not satisfied with the way things are in the government and all of this. But my joy should not be centered around the circumstances of what's going on in America and what's going on around me. I should be full of joy this morning because I have inside of me the Lord Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. He dwells there. I know he's there. I I don't see how anybody can claim to be uh, full of the Spirit of God or have the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of them and not know it. I'm going to tell you, in spite of all of the things that happen to me sometimes, I get so overjoyed. I don't know what to do. And all I can do is either cry or just praise God. And brother, when he gets like that now, there's where your joy is. Just in serving the Lord. Let me go on and read. We'll never get done if I can start talking about everything that, uh, <laughs> man, I've got a bunch of notes. I probably won't even look at them, but I'll have them. Let's read on verse uh, number four. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. There's some words in this passage of scripture that scare a lot of Christians to death when they read them. And one of those words is chosen. And the other word is mentioned on down in the next verse, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The word chosen and the word predestinated scare many people to death. And these two words are often uh, mistaught and are often misquoted and misunderstood because people think, well, God predestinated some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. That's not taught in the scripture. God has chosen some to be saved and some to be lost. That's not taught in the scripture. And I'm going to show you Uh, as we get uh, through this passage of Scripture, get into our lesson this morning, what these words are trying to tell us. And then he said, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ." In whom, now I want you to notice it, pay attention. This verse is the key to this whole passage of scripture and in understanding what it is trying to tell us. Listen, read, listen, let it go in and think about what we're saying. Notice this, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ. Now notice this, here it is. In whom ye also trusted. Notice that. That's a statement. That's a phrase in the word of God. In whom ye also trusted. When? After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also 
after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray, and I'm going to try to teach you for just a little bit on this passage of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to be able to teach you everything because time will not permit for me to cover all the doctrine that is taught in this one passage of Scripture. What I want you to see this morning is the part that God plays in our salvation and the part that Christ plays in our salvation and the part that the Holy Spirit plays in our salvation. And I'm going to have to hurry and speak fast so you listen fast. Amen? Father, thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to be here. Thank you, God, for the good service we've already had at the nursing home this morning. Lord, I just ask you now to help me as I try to teach this lesson from your word this morning. And I pray, God, that these folk will receive something. God, help us to feed the flock of God. And then help me, Father, to help somebody here this morning who is not saved to understand what Christ did, what God did, and what the Holy Spirit did, and help them to understand that it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. May your will be done this morning, and we'll do our best to praise you and give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let me say, first of all, this morning, I appreciate our pastor giving us the opportunity to preach. And anytime I get the opportunity to stand up and speak for the Lord, I praise the Lord. It's not in me. It's nothing I do. As a matter of fact, I consider myself as one of the weakest of God's saints. But I have tried to apply myself over the years to learn the Word of God so that I can help teach others the Word of God. When the Lord laid this on my heart, I thought about this passage of Scripture and what it teaches and how many people there are in our average Baptist church and no doubt some right here this morning that do not know or understand what this scripture is teaching. And so I'm going to do my best to go through and give you some highlights because no way we'll get through the whole thing. I'll just have to quit when the time comes. But I want to give you some things here. First of all, I want you to notice that from uh, verse number two down through verse number 14 in the Greek Bible or in the Greek uh, Word of God where our English Bible is translated from, this uh, passage of Scripture from verse 2 down through verse 14 is one continuous sentence. Now, if you read it in the King James, it's not. It has periods and, and commas and so forth. But in the Greek language, it's one continuous sentence all the way through verse 2 down through verse number 14. And if you could read the Greek language this morning, when Paul starts, he starts out, and it's one continuous sentence all the way through this whole passage of Scripture. Can you imagine Paul when he is writing this or when he has his amanuensis write and, and, uh, and put this down uh, on the, uh, parchments or on skins, whatever they used in that day to put the Word of God on there? One long continuous sentence on this passage of Scripture. We break it down into English, but Paul, when he gets started, he's so overwhelmed by what is done through God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit that it's just a continuous sentence about all the things and the blessings that we have, the spiritual blessings we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, we can praise God for salvation. And we ought to. But when we understand what we have in Christ, we ought to be able to praise him more. And this is what Paul is doing here in this passage of Scripture. If you look down at verse number 6, Paul speaks of God the Father. Look at verse number 6. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, he's talking about God the Father and he's giving praise to God the Father because God the Father has made us accepted in who? In Christ. That's the only way God can accept a sinner. That's the only way you are acceptable in the sight of God is in Jesus Christ. If you're not saved this morning, if you're not in Jesus this morning, my friend, you haven't been accepted in God. Sometimes men are uh, Bible teachers, so-called Bible teachers. I call them so-called because they got their doctrines all upside down. They don't understand when they start studying and reading this, what the Bible is saying that every sinner who is saved by the grace of God, you have been accepted by God because you've trusted his son. What did we read down in verse number 14? We read about after you heard the word, you trusted him after you heard the word, the gospel of your salvation. What brings us to Jesus Christ? The word of God. What brings you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? The gospel. We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and when we're convicted by the word of God, the Holy Spirit taking the word and applying that word to our heart and bringing conviction upon us, by that word, we believe and trust Jesus Christ because of what the word says. And then we're accepted by God because we're in Christ. Now let me talk about this word predestination for just a moment and the word chosen. Notice verse number four. It says, according as he hath chosen us. Now look at the phrase. Look at the wording of this passage of scripture. According as he hath chosen us in him. In who? Jesus. When did he do that? Look at the passage. Before the foundation of the world. Now, I want to tell you something this morning, folks. If that don't get you excited, it does me. To think that before I was ever born, before this world was ever created, I had a God, we had a God that looked down through the, the periods of time and, and through all of the the centuries and saw me and chose me to be saved because he saw that one day I would come to his son, the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> you say, preach, I don't understand it. It's not hard to understand. God is an infinite God. God is a God that knows the, the end from the beginning and there's never been a beginning with God and there'll never be an ending. And he's looked down through eternity and he looked down through all the ages of time and saw the day that I would come and trust his son and he has accepted every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you a question. Where do you see in that passage of scripture God choosing some for heaven and some for hell? Can you see it in there? I can't. The word of God said he's chosen us in Christ. So preacher, what does that mean this morning? That means that if you're here and you're not saved and you say, well, I'm not chosen in Christ. What are you waiting for? Brother, you're chosen him when you come to Jesus. If you want all of the blessings that are mentioned in this passage of scripture, come to Christ. You know he died for you. You know he shed his blood on Calvary's cross that not one sinner would have to go to hell. 
And we know by reading the word of God, it's not God's will for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you sat there in that chair this morning and you refuse to come to the only person who can save you this morning, you will never be chosen by God until you come to Jesus. He chose his son. And he chose him to go to Calvary. And he chose him to, uh, to uh, give himself in a body of flesh on the cross for sinners. Brother, every person who comes to Christ has been chosen by God. I don't see anybody, uh, God's uh, sending to hell through that. God's not uh, choosing anybody to be saved and anybody to be lost. He's choosing everybody that wants to come to Christ to be saved. And if you don't, when you stand before God, what you going to say? Well, the gospel was preached. We knew Christ died. We know that he shed his blood. We know the word of God said he died for the world. And if you reject that and you turn that down, that's the only offer of salvation you'll ever have. That's the only gift that gives salvation is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at this word. Now, we've been chosen, the word God said, from the foundation of the world, or before, the word of God said, before the foundation of the world, before this world ever came into existence, God chose us. Now, I'm not going to stand and argue with any, the predestinationists, or these people that believe that God chose some to go to heaven or hell. I just believe what the Bible says. That every person who will come to Christ has been chosen before the foundation of this world to be saved. And, uh, and notice, I want you to notice this phrase in the latter part of verse number four. And what, what did he do that for? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Why did God choose us? Because love has no boundary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God in his love before there ever was an earth or a foundation of this earth, looked down through time and the love that God had way back under in the eons of eternity past. That love says, I don't want to be alone. Hey, do you remember some of y'all when you fell in love with your, what is now your spouse? We thought it was love, didn't we? I just learned to love my wife over the last few years of our marriage. We thought it was love, but I'm telling you, when we get older together, we find out it wasn't really love at all. Our love for each other now is more than it ever was when we dated or courted before we were married. And the, I can think of the love of God, how much he loved this world in his plan of salvation before this earth ever came into existence. God so loved the world, he said, and love does not want to be alone. I, I tell you what, I, I've been married now with my wife, I'll be married 59 years in March. And I'm going to tell you, I don't look forward to the day when the Lord may take her and leave me or take me and leave her and I'm sure she's not looking forward to that. But it, it may come down the road, somewhere down the road. Love does not want to be left alone. And God did not want to be left alone so he chose us in the eons of eternity past to dwell with him in eternity future. Y'all want to hold my mules while I shout. Hallelujah. Thank God this morning for him loving us before the foundation of the world. And then I want you to notice this word predestinate. Having predestinated us 
unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to have time to really get into all this, but uh, back years ago, when the Word of God was first being written in the Old Testament and they were going through all uh, those periods of time in the Old Testament, and you know by reading the Word of God that a lot of the uh, men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, all these uh, all these patriarchs had more than one wife. And somebody said, I've never understood that. Well, I, I don't understand it either. When God, uh, when he first created man, he intended for one man, for one woman, for one lifetime. And I don't, under, don't understand everything. I'm not going to claim I do. But often he would have more than one wife. And through... Uh, one wife, if you take Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, remember Jacob, his love was Rachel. And she was to be one of the ones through whom uh, the tribes would come through and uh, the heritage would be passed on. Now, in every family, there was one that usually it was the elder of the family, the uh, of the siblings, the men who would be chosen uh, as the heir when the father died. Now, due to the fact that they had more than one wife, if he wanted to change his heir and pass it down to uh, one of the other sons, there had to be a legal document fixed up and it had to be uh, legally uh, accepted that he would become a member, an adopted member of the family or he couldn't receive the inheritance. So what the scripture's teaching us here this morning is that uh, we have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. What this simply means is that you were one time lost. You belong to the family of Satan. You served him. The word God teaches that. Don't look at me like you, you don't believe what I'm saying. If you're, not, if you're not serving the Lord, then you're serving the devil. If you're not saved, you're a member of the family of the devil. You're not a member of the family of God. So what this is simply saying is that when we accepted Christ, we that are illegal, you know, we're coming into family. Actually, when you think about it, illegal, we're, we, we're not a part of the family, so we're being brought into the family of God because we trust in Christ. But there's something that takes place. Legally, through the law, you cannot inherit what the rest of the family inherited because you're an outsider. But because of adoption, when you're saved by the grace of God and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, he adopts you into the family of God and you receive all of the rights of the other members of the family because you've been adopted. Now let me explain adoption in the sense in, in North Carolina. I don't understand, I don't know all the laws. But I do know this, that you can adopt, and maybe some of you here have been adopted. Uh, you have adopted parents and uh, some of you have adopted children. There's one thing that I learned many years ago that when a person was adopted into the family, and I know because my aunt, my last living aunt that I buried a couple years ago was 102 years old. She adopted two girls into the family. And they had tried to, uh, her uh, blood daughter, the uh, one that's a regular member of the family, only daughter she ever had, uh, tried to do everything to cast these two adopted girls out of the inheritance and, you know, not fix it where she couldn't get anything. But, you know, the law states that if you've been adopted, you can't be cut off. 
Does that excite you? People talking about, hey, I get saved, I lose my salvation. Hey, if you've been adopted into the family of God, you will not and cannot be cut off. Oh, hallelujah, it's getting good now. Adopted. I was never a member of the family till I came to Christ and he saved me and adopted me and gave me all of the privileges of the family just like I was a full-grown child. Hallelujah. I'll tell you this morning, thank God when you come to pray, I don't care how long you've been saved, maybe you haven't been saved in a week, but you think about this, that the way into the holy of holies is just as open to you as it is to me, and I've been saved for over 55 years, hallelujah, and I can come into the holy of holies, and there could be a little child right there that just got saved, and he can talk to the same God as I talk to because he's adopted in a family with all the rights and privileges of a full-grown child. When you understand that, you're going to say, I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to get excited and we might see you climbing the walls around here one of these days. And, and predestinate. Now, this word predestinated just means to predetermine beforehand certain things. But nowhere in the word of God, when you read the word predestinated, do you read anything about God predestinating some to heaven and some to hell. It's just not taught. The word predestination, I want to read this uh, couple of verses here where it's mentioned. Notice verse five. Having predestinated us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now, notice the word predestination, predetermined. God has predetermined beforehand that when you are adopted into the family of God, you get all of the rights and the privileges of a family without having to go through tutors like they did under the law. Now that was the key. Under the law, a child or a son, when he was not mature, he had to come up under tutors. He had to have a teacher, had, had tutors and teachers that, that brought him up to a place of maturity before he could ever receive that inheritance in the family. And if I'm correct, Brother Horn can correct me if I'm wrong this morning, but uh, if I remember correctly, a son had to be at least 30 years of age before he could receive the father's inheritance. Does that make you want to shout this morning? To think that when you're adopted into the family of God, you don't have to wait till you get 30 years old to start enjoying the blessings. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God I can enjoy all of the blessings of God this morning because I'm an adopted member of the family and it can't, I can't be cut off. Well, we talked about God the Father. I want to look at a couple of things now about God the Son. Now remember, God the Father, He chooses, and then He predestines, and He adopts us. But then I want to talk about the Lord Jesus a little bit in this passage of Scripture. Remember we are talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our salvation. You're chosen by God because you're in Christ. You've been predestinated by God. That's God's business, not ours. And then we've been adopted. But look on down now in verse number seven, we're gonna talk about Jesus for a few minutes. And I've got about 15 minutes here to cover two points. We probably won't get done, but we'll quit when, uh, when the time comes, amen? All right, look at verse number seven. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want you to notice a number of times that it makes mention in this passage of scripture about according to the riches of his grace. Everything that we have is by the grace of God. Man had nothing to do with it. 
Man has nothing to do with my salvation. He has nothing to do with me keeping my salvation. And he has nothing to do, praise God, about me enjoying it. The Word of God says that we have redemption. Now, I could spend a whole afternoon on the word redemption. The word redemption is simply means a payment. It's the price that was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross with his blood. That was the redemption price. We don't have time to cover that this morning, but that was the payment. Paul mentioned it in the book of Romans. It's like when we... As sinners, we are like slaves on a slave market. The devil has us chained as slaves. And then we're put on that slave market and it's as though we've been auctioned off as sinners. And here comes the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the price that is demanded for our salvation is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he takes his blood, which is the price for our redemption, and buys us off of that slave market. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, I get excited when I think about that. That I was a slave to sin. And one day, thank God, as Satan had me on that slave market and had me under auction and, and said, what's the price? And the Redeemer came along with his precious blood and said, I'll pay the price. And the price to buy my redemption was his precious blood. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad he didn't leave me. He paid the redemption price. And then he turned around after he redeemed me and set me free. Hallelujah. That's why I can have fun. I'm no longer in chains. Hallelujah. He set me free. What for? To serve him, to praise him. You want to know why I'm excited this morning? Because I know I'm not going to hell. I know I'm a child of God. I know he paid that price for me over 2,000 years ago. And I know because I've accepted him, there's no way I can lose my salvation this morning. Hallelujah. Get out of the way, boys. I'm going to have a good time. I feel so sorry for people who don't know they're saved. And they're always worried about losing their salvation. Well, I want to ask you, who are you trusting this morning? Who have you put your trust in? Is your trust in your money? If you do, you'll go to hell. But I'm going to tell you, I put my trust in one brother that holds this world in the palms of his hands this morning. And the word of God says it was created by him and by him all things consist. They're held together. By the Son of God. He's the creator. So he paid the redemption price. And then notice that uh, his blood was that which gave us forgiveness because of his blood. And then he said, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Aren't you glad this morning that the Lord has abounded toward you in all of his wisdom? and prudence, and love. Oh, let me tell you. When I think about what Jesus did for me, the Word of God says we love Him because He first loved us. I didn't love Him first. The night I came to Christ, I was just a lost sinner on my way to hell, not knowing who he was until I heard the good word of God that pointed out what he did at Calvary and showed me that not only did he die on Calvary's cross, but he was put in a tomb. And on the third day, hallelujah, he arose. Amen. I want you to know this morning, my trust is not in Muhammad. My trust is not in Allah. My trust is not in some dead pack of bones in a grave somewhere. My trust is in one who is alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father this morning. Amen. Yes, sir, I'm trusting in the eternal one. The one who not very long from now is going to find out exactly who he is. 
You wait till that sky burst open one day. My wife, she can't, she's afraid of horses. She can't stand horses. I told her, I said, you better get used to them. Revelation chapter 19, one day the word of God talks about the heavens splitting open and he comes riding forth on a white horse and all of the saints of God and the armies of heaven behind him on white horses. Brother, I'm telling you, that's some kind of horse that can ride on the clouds, can ride on nothing. And here we come. And the word of God said his word goes forth. The sword of his mouth goes forth and he'll shed blood until the blood will be all over his vesture and it'll be dipped in blood from the blood of those of his enemies that hate him. It doesn't talk about, I don't know what part we're going to play. The Lord's going to, his word's going forth and we're just going to ride along and watch what happens. I'm going to tell you one thing. This world's fixing to find out just who the Redeemer really is. So Christ paid the price. Let me get on to my last point. And I'm going to try to let you out of here at the same time a preacher does, about 12.30. And I want to talk about now in verses 12 and uh, verse, uh, down through verse 14 about the Holy Spirit. Now we see God the Father chose and he predestinated and he adopted. Jesus paid the price of redemption with his blood and forgiveness of our sins. The Holy Spirit now is found in verse 12 through verse 14. Now, all of this is done. And look at verse 11 and in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Remember I talked about the inheritance as a full grown child being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after counsel of his own will. And it's just simply saying that he predestinated us to get the inheritance and it's all according to his will, not ours, anybody else. He didn't have to give us anything. But we have an inheritance because of his Will. Now notice verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now in verse number six, we have the praise to God. In verse number uh, 12, we have the praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. And down in verse number 14, we have praise to the Holy Spirit. And I heard some off the wall dummy a few years ago say, well, you know, uh, if you pray, you're supposed to pray to God the Father, not the Lord Jesus Christ, nor the Holy Spirit. Hey, I've got news for you this morning. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all equal. And they all deserve praise. Now there's a place in our worship for the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit presents Jesus Christ. That's why you don't hear, you don't see in the word of God where the Holy Spirit's praising himself. He's always praising Jesus. That's when the message is preached, it's the Holy Spirit that directs the message. And if it's not about Jesus Christ, then chances are you're not getting the truth of the word. Now, notice, and he said in verse 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. To the praise of his glory. Who? Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. They all deserve praise. Then look at verse 13. Now we read this verse, but I'm going to read it again. In whom ye also trusted. That's key. And then notice, after you trusted, that ye heard the word of truth. When did you trust Christ? After the gospel was preached. Why is it important that men stand and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to convict. What does he use? 
There's no other message nowhere else, brother, that'll save you but right here in this book. And he said, after you heard the words, you trusted the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that ye believed. The word believe carries with it the idea to uh, adhere to, to rely on, to, to put all of your faith in. That's what believe means. And after you did that, I want you to see this, brother, because this is the key to your salvation, whether you can lose it or not. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit a promise. Brother, you might lose yours. It depends on who you're trusting in. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to lose mine. And you can say, oh, you can't be sure until you die. I'd hate to die, bless God, and find out I wasn't saved. He said, you're sealed. I could preach a whole sermon the rest of the afternoon on just the word sealed. That word sealed carries with it the idea of ownership. It carries with it the idea, if you go back and read the Old Testament, Jeremiah, when, uh, the, when Babylon took the, the tribe of Judah into captivity, I think it was Baruch, if I remember correctly, sold a parcel of his land to Jeremiah. God told him, they're going into captivity. Why buy the land? Because God says, you're coming back. And he told Jeremiah, he said, buy that parcel of land. Because one of these days, you're coming back to this country and you can reclaim that property. And that was taught in the nation of Israel. After every 50th year, which was called the Jubilee year, the year of Pentecost, or Jubilee, Jubilee, that land, if it had been given over to uh, maybe a, a, a farmer, or a Jew had sold his property to some other individual, after 50 years, that property went back to the original owner without charge. So what we're saying here this morning is, and that the word of God teaches that there was a, uh, the king's ring or signet had been put up on the parchment and Jeremiah took that and buried it somewhere. We don't know where the word of God tells us that he buried that deed to that property. And I myself, brother, uh, brother Horn, believe that one day that parchment that Jeremiah uh, uh, signed and it was sealed is going to be drug out. And you say, he lost it. No, he didn't lose it. Brother, the seal has been put upon us uh, in salvation by the Holy Spirit of God. And one of these days, whether I'm down here in the cemetery or somewhere else, I don't know where my wife might just plow up a field and throw me in it and, and cover me up. But wherever I am, when the Lord comes, I'm coming out of that grave with a glorified body, a new body, and I'm going to be with the Lord forever. Why? Because it's been sealed and settled by the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, hallelujah. I could preach on. You better be glad I didn't preach all these notes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't even look at them much. But thank God that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and his blood paid for your sin, if you're relying upon him, God shows you way back yonder. And then when you made it permanent, when you trusted Christ, then you are chosen in him. You've been predestinated to enjoy all the privileges that God has to give you. And it's sealed by God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, remember, uh, if you just picture this being the Godhead and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, all three within that Godhead, that's God. That's what the Bible means by one God. 
But all three of those personalities within that Godhead have a work and a, 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 a part in your salvation. Brother, I'm telling you, we got a triune Godhead. Triune means three, and une or unity means one. Triune, three and one. And thank God, I'm glad I know him this morning. Let's stand our feet with our heads bowed for just a moment. Brother Seach, you give us a little music here this morning. Hey, I want to ask you something. Every Sunday, the preacher preaches, and there'll be hands that go up in the congregation asking for prayer that they are not saved, do not know Christ. You've heard the message this morning. God has not determined that anybody go to hell except for those who refuse to come to Christ. Now, salvation is sufficient to save every person in this room this morning, but it only becomes efficient when you move and come and trust Christ or trust Christ as your Savior. It will do you no good to say, I know Christ can save. I know it's sufficient to save me, but it will not do you any good unless you are willing to put your faith and your trust in Him this morning. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about Jesus. So I'm asking you right now, Brother Abel plays on the piano. If you're here, you're lost without Jesus Christ right now. Would you get up or just come down to the front and we'll get somebody to pray with you this morning. Brother Brandon is here, myself. Brother Horn, be glad to take the Word of God and sit down and explain to you. I think I've pretty well explained what salvation is all about this morning. You hear the Word. You believe the Word and you trust the Son. And I want to ask you this morning, is anybody here this morning that you would just come right now and say, I need to be saved. I've never trusted Christ. I've never been chosen because I've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is anybody like that anywhere this morning? Maybe there's a Christian here this morning. Maybe you've had some doubts. You ought to come get settled today while you have an opportunity to do so. Father, Thank you this morning, God, for the lesson from the Word of God. I pray that you'd use it for your glory. God, you know the hearts of every person here. I've done my best. I've done what you asked me to do, Lord. So take it, use it for your glory. In Christ's name, Brother Brandon.